Today is exciting for a few of you, not all of us. Um, Sometimes the holiday season brings excitement in one group of people and an increased expense in their grocery bill for others uh, because the kids are now home. Um, But we want to say a huge congratulations to all of our students. You have made it through another year, our uni students as well. Some of you have had new jobs this year, like me. We've done it. We've almost gotten through to the end of the year. And so uh, congratulations there as well. And some of you have graduated. So that is super exciting. So yeah, we, shucks, they're saying over here. And looking nicely tanned um, from your schoolies. We're glad you are home safely. We want to spend the month of December walking through the book of John and what it tells us about our God and how he wants to interact with us. But put your hand up if this week your Spotify wrapped dropped on your phone and you're like, oh yeah, she talked about that on Sabbath. Or maybe just put your hand up if your Spotify wrapped dropped and you didn't even connect the two of it together. Yes, I love that. Well, I want to play for you my top song. I won't be playing it all, but this was my number one song on my Spotify wrapped this week. Yeah. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep, you keep it playing, playing. Why? Part of the reason why I love this song is it talks the about God the God that is relatable to all these different people within the context of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and reminds me that when I hear it, that we need to have a full understanding of who He is so that we can understand that He's relatable to us here and now. And that's what we're going to dive into, learning about a God that loves us, that we need, and one that is willing to sacrifice on our behalf. But before we go, as we've done two times now, so three times a charm, we're gonna flick to the next slide. Where have I put this slide? We're gonna flick to the next slide, thanks Clay, and I'm gonna ask if there's someone brave here, like we've done for the last two weeks, that is willing to pray this prayer for our congregation today. Is there someone out, you don't have to stand up, you just have to yell it out loud. Thanks to Grace, who did it last week. Is there someone willing to do it for us this week? Thank you. You're amazing. And your jacket's great. Okay. Bow your heads. Amen. Thank you so much. I hope this is something that becomes just so second nature to us, that we sit in here on a Saturday morning and all of us are prepared to go, I'm here not just to consume, but I'm here to participate. I'll pray for us today. So get your brave on. That's where we're going in the future. Now, I am a person of wonder. Like, I love the whole idea of, wow, 
isn't that like amazing? Or that just seems so magical. However, I am very aware that there are other people in the world that aren't people filled with wonder, they're people filled with practicality. And if perchance it happens that you are married to someone that is not a person necessarily of wonder, but a person of practicality, there are some times when your wonder is, it's harsh, but I can't find a more appropriate word for it, crushed <laughs> by the practicality or the explanation or the logic that people have the audacity to bring into your life. Now, I asked Neil this morning if I could share this with you and this story with you. And he says, well, you can if you want, but like I, I feel like it's more incriminating for you than for me. But I'm like, okay, so here's the story. I love, I love, love, loved, I'm not going to tread on it either. I love the show McLeod's Daughters. Like, judge me if you will, but I loved McLeod's Daughters. And I used to watch it religiously back in the days where you kind of had to wait for the whole week for the next one to come out. So as there's, there was this build-up of, you know, anticipation of what was going to happen next week, you know, to Tess and Claire. Oh, my goodness. And I kind of hoped that being married to a farm boy, Neil, might, you know, he might kind of just really get into this TV show with me. And that would be awesome. We could watch it together because it's so amazing, right? But this is how dreams, wonder, and amazement can get crushed in a moment. I am all in, all in to the, to the scene that is playing out in front of me. There's a beautiful girl on horseback, hair flowing out, dry as a bone, just, you know, just rolling over the edge of the horse, riding through these beautiful fields, and it's just so lovely. And then Neil's sitting behind me and going, it's a summer crop in the ground. Why is she wearing a dry as a bone? That's just dumb. It's too hot. This isn't real, Sarah. No one would be wearing a dry as a bone when that crop is in the ground because it's summer. It's not winter. How is she even riding that horse? That's ridiculous. Crushed. Relate, right? Right? And then all of a sudden, it seems like next time you go and sit and watch that program, you just kind of somewhat want to dial back your wonder because, like, you know, you don't want that to be stomped down again. So you're like, oh, oh yeah, it, it's okay. I mean, I know it's made up. Like, they're not real people, but you're like, inside what's happening. That's the first, that's my, that's my favorite example, but this is the second one. When I was growing up, I wholeheartedly believed, and like, you know, you can still be growing up at like 45, 46, and beyond, and I, I always thought that the Rubik's Cube held some magical, mystical power, like it chose the people that it would reveal its secrets to. 
And so, you, you know, to, to be able to solve it was like, you just, you just, it was like a gene. You just had it. Some of us don't have it. Some people have the Rubik's Cube gene or somehow it was revealed to you. And I remember as a teenager, my brother had one and I, like dead set, I just absolutely believed that somehow if I fiddled with it for long enough, because this is what it looks like those people are doing, right? And they'll flick it and it, like, you know, it looks like they're just fiddling with it long enough. And if I fiddled with it long enough, that somehow I'd get it too. However, when my own sons became grown and showed me, and then, you know, they themselves, with, between the four of them, would test each other, time each other, how fast they could do it, I realised it's a mathematical kind of formula. Crushed. Like, I've spoken many a time on my relationship between me and mathematics, so that just put the wonder and the mystery of the Rubik's Cube into a dimension or realm that I just cannot even go. Like, so, you know, crush. There's no mystery about this. It's just obnoxious mathematication. Math, math, I can't even say the word. It brings me so much anxiety. So, like, crushed. Dreams are crushed. And when our dreams, our wonder, our amazement at something is crushed, it then tends to become something that we just push aside. I don't try and do this. I just look ridiculous. I kind of put it, you know, that's not something I need to do. Other people can do it, all power to you. I can do other things. But when we have things that have lost a little bit of wonder, have lost a little bit of their mystery about them, our focus and our attention often seems to go off them as well. It's a little bit like this shoebox. Now, I was going to, I keep my shoes in their boxes if I can because I have this tendency to just kick my shoes off and just peg them in the cupboard that we loosely share. Um, Neil has a little area uh, that he's sometimes permitted to go into. And uh, so I try and keep them in their boxes because that reminds me, Sarah, do not peg your shoes in there. Go and put them in the box. And so I was looking for a pair of shoes the other day, and I, I usually have this sticker on the outside. And so I was like, I don't even own those shoes, and that is not my shoe size. What is that box? And so I open up the box and realise what is inside. And it's kind of like a little... Pandora's box, what's in here? I was like, oh, it's all these little things that were important to me at one time that I don't not want them, so I want them, but I'm not quite sure where to put them or when they're going to come into use or how they can impact my daily life. So I've still kept them, but I've whacked them in a box and shoved them to the back of the cupboard. So there's things in here like... Uh, so young, my bicentennial medal. Yeah. Me as a cutie year one, little girl. I spilt strawberry milk that day of the photos. My hair's all beautiful. I remember my mum telling me, pull your hair forward so we can see how long it is. But it kind of pulled forward and pointed down to the big strawberry blotch. My Expo 88 passport. 
Um, in here, this was a bracelet that I was given. It's got English coins on it. It's from my grandmother. And there's a little ring that attaches to that. Here's like a real pearl necklace that I found at the secondhand store, but it was broken, and I promised myself I'd fix that. That was quite a few years ago. Ooh, I've actually really been looking for this. We have picture rails that's hard to hang everything, so um, a random bow tie. This was the most random thing, one of my socks. The other one's probs in my drawer somewhere. Um, oh, my Pathfinder sash. Fairly blank. <laughs> I only did it for a year, people. They're all from one year. Um, this cute-ass little picture of my little sister, Mariah. And, yeah, a few... Oh, a bag of teeth from the kids. An A. If anyone's name's A and you, like, want to personalise something, come and get it from me. Uh, a book from when I left teaching when I was having Lachlan, and it's all my students... Um, have all written beautiful messages in there. And a random, clearly from the second-hand store, I must have used it for some illustration, uh, you know, a teaspoon of the Statue of Liberty. So, you know, so random. But stuff that was meaningful to me, stuff that is part of who I am, but I, I just was like, mm, I don't know where that fits in my life right now. I don't know how that impacts me and my everyday, so I just have put it in a box and I've just put it and shoved it away. And I think that sometimes the way we treat a doctrine that we believe in, a way that when you look through your Bible, God reveals himself to us and it's called the Trinity and sometimes we hear that word and we're like, Woo, that's a little bit scary. And so sometimes we, we kind of shove this whole concept of the nature of God, how he's made up, how we can relate to him as something that we know that's important to us. We know that it's kind of foundational to our belief, but if someone was to ask me how do I explain it, I'm not sure I could explain it, and I'm not sure how it impacts me on a daily basis, so I'm, I'm going to pop it in a shoebox and put it back there. I'm not discounting it, but I'm just not necessarily talking about it, and I'm just not necessarily letting it impact my daily life. And so today, we want to take just a tiny moment, just a very small snapshot of what our God is like. And it's something to celebrate. I am not some crazy town biblical scholar, but I'm someone like you that wants to open their Bible and learn and understand who God is. So we want to have a look at what does John, what does the Trinity have to do with the first part of John? So if you have your Bibles with you, it's not on the screen, but if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open up to John 1, 1 to 14. And as always, we say, if you need a Bible, you haven't brought one today or you don't own one, just give us a wave, Neil's down the front here, and we will gift you a Bible. You can take that home with you. But we want to read 1 John and we want to go from verses 1 to 14. Uh, 
All right, so in the beginning, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This brings to mind seashells, seashells by the seashore when I read this. We'll move on. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself, not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. And we talked about John the Baptist a few weeks ago. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We hear in this passage, John trying to give us an understanding of where this Savior come from. What does he come from? What is he part of? But he was there in the beginning. He played a part in making the world. So how do we wrap our heads around who is this God? And how was this sending? What happened? And where was this beginning so let's go, turn in your Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis 1, and we're going to do verse 26 and 27. Let's go back to the beginning to discover some of this. Creation has happened. And then God said, let, what's the word there? Us. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all, all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right back at the beginning, we hear this us concept, this our, this collective, this collection of God that is making creation. And then another beautiful uh, passage, which I haven't put up there, which is actually one, it's a beautiful blessing. It's like a benediction um, given to the city of, the town of Corinth. So I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 13. And in verse, oh, we'll read from verse 11. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I do believe I may have looked at that as a teenager and gone, 
I might brush my teeth this morning before I go to church. All God's people here send their greetings. This is the part I love, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now, I'm not great at mathematics, but there is a mathematical equation that I can say that I have mastered, and it's one plus one plus one equals one. That's what we see in the Bible. This is the God that when we hear it being written about this three parts, this triune God, this trinity that is our God. And it may seem like something, does it really matter if we grasp this concept? And in reality, it's a God concept. I'm not 100% certain, and neither were the people that first developed our Christian church. You know, they weren't encouraging us to go, you've got to get this in your head nailed down, because it's a God concept. There's wonder and awe and majesty to this that sometimes is crushed when we try to give an example or when we try to give an object lesson to understand the concept of this three-in-one God. So what is a trinity? So the definition of the trinity is the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in one Godhead, believed to be indispensable to the Christian faith, or a group of three closely related persons or things. A theology lecturer put it this way, and I've put it small so I can read it to you, but it just, I didn't want to flick slides all the way through because I'll lose my place. A Trinity doctrine is commonly expressed as the statement that the one God exists as or in three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every term in this statement, God exists as or in equally divine person, has been variously understood. The guiding principle has been the creedal declaration that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the New Testament are consubstantial, i.e. the same in substance or essence, and in the Greek, it's called homoousis, because this shared substance or essence is a divine one. This is understood to imply that all three named individuals are divine, and equally so. Yet the three, in some sense, are the one God of the Bible. If you want to go and do theology, you can listen to that kind of stuff all day. That was from a lecture. And then there's a picture that I remember growing up having this um, drawn for me, and I've seen my dad draw it for other people. So we have a concept of God, our God, and then you read through the scripture, you hear God the Father, you hear of the Son, and you hear of the Holy Spirit. But what we need to be clear of is that the Father is not the Holy Spirit. They're different. And the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and the Son's not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son, but all three of them are God. All three persons form a Godhead. 
Now, I have been in Bible studies and people have gone, oh, yeah, I get that diagram. Yeah, okay, good. But, but I don't get it. And that's okay. Because how are we as humans able to grasp and understand something that not, it's not even human? If we can read our Bible and believe that we serve a God that raises people from the dead, that women are healed from years and years of pain just by touching a hem of his garment. If we are truly to believe that God can create a whole world in seven days, why should we doubt? Out, that he's God enough to have three distinct persons that rule together as our Godhead. And the beauty of this is described in a word that I want to share with you. When I first heard about this word, it's something that allowed me to have a better understanding of what this whole Trinity and Godhead was all about and how it even affected my daily life. Because I'll be honest, I had shoved this whole Trinity thing in a shoebox and put it at the back of my closet. I know it's important. I know it's fundamental to the Christian belief. But it was just, I just wasn't sure how it related to my daily life and why I should even really care. So the word is, well, let's go with this first. This is an explanation. Someone talks about the same feeling that we have. I don't really get it. It says, we do not hold the doctrine of the Trinity because it is self-evident or logically cognitive. I don't even know how to say that word. Sorry. We hold it because God has revealed that's what he is like. This is the word. I forgot I even put that slide in. Sorry, apologies. Perichoresis. Not a word that you'll use all the time. It's actually a Greek word, so you probably won't ever use it again. Uh, but it is a cool word. And it, the word was used when the early church was trying to grapple with, how do we explain this doctrine? We know it's foundational to what we believe, to who we, be, uh, we are, but how do we kind of wrap our heads around it? It says, genuine acceptance removes fear and hiding and creates freedom to know and to be known. In this freedom arises a fellowship and sharing so honest and open and real that the, purpose, that the persons involved dwell in one another. There is union without loss of individual identity. When one weeps, the other tastes salt. It is only in the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit that personal relationship of this order exists. And the early church used the word perichoresis to describe it. The good news is that Jesus Christ has drawn us within this relationship and its fullness and life are to be played out in each of us and in all creation. The definition of perichoresis is derived from Greek and it just means going around and in rotation. In fact, some modern theologians have described the Trinity as a dance a dance between three people, and we are invited into it. But it's more accurately described as this cycle, this circle, this complete relationship 
of three people being our God in heaven. And why should it really matter if we understand? Does it matter if I think there's three? Does it matter if I think there's only one and you think there's two? Or I can get God, I can get the Son, I'm not sure about the Spirit. Does it really matter? Well, it matters because that's how Christ has revealed, that's how God has revealed himself to us in his scriptures. There's so many passages. You think of Jesus' own baptism where he goes down under the water. Jesus is present. You hear God's voice cry out and then you see the spirit represented as the dove. It's the way that God himself reveals his nature to us. And so it's important for us to understand. The other thing that I think why it can impact us is we as Christians for forever have gone, you know what, God is love, God, love originates with God, God is community, all of that. But how can you be God, love, community, if there's only one? Like, if there was just one God in heaven, where is the community? Where is that love coming from? And, and was creation made up or were we just created because, you know, God was like hanging out up there and it's just all a bit lonely. Let me create some minions to do my bidding. The Bible says that we have a God that is made up of three distinct persons that work together, that have community, that is going round like a circle, that is so tight that, that the, the, the reality is, is they don't actually need us to have community. There's community there. There is harmony there. And the cool thing about that, you might think that, well, what, they don't need me? Why are you telling me that on a Saturday morning? I got out and did my hair for this. The beauty in that is they didn't need you, but they made you anyway. They made you because this community of love said, we want people to love. In fact, we want to create some people and our little perfect community here, this Godhead, we want to invite people into this. We want them to be a part of this. And when we look at how Father, Spirit and Son interact in the Bible, it's the model for us in how we interact with the world around us, how we should work with our neighbours, how we should strive to go, let us not be fracturous, let me not pip you against me and I'm above you. In fact, do you know what? Humbly, we're on the same level. It's a model for our relationships. It's a model for how we interact with the world. But when we fractured that connection, the beauty that we will be celebrating over this December is that that Godhead decided to send one of their own to be placed in front of a task that at one point seemed so huge that Jesus knelt down in the garden and said, if there's any other way for us to bring these people back into our community, can we go that way? But in that moment, it was a no, uh, 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 but your will be done. The plan. Whatever it was, whatever it takes, we'll follow the plan. It's hard to wrap 
your head around. And I think we need to understand that when it comes to this God-sized concept that we worship a three-in-one God, that we don't let that wonder and mystery and majesty be crushed because we simply can't find an earthly illustration that perfectly makes it logical and practical and just laid out on paper. When we sign in to living a life with Jesus Christ, you're not signing up to RACQ, you know, or Netflix, where you need to, you know, you're going to read all the finer detail. Like, that's just a thing. When we say that we want to come into community with this three-in-one God of the universe, we are stepping in to an amazing, wonder-filled space that our human minds can barely wrap around. But when it's included in our Bible, it's something that we can know and understand that although some things might be confusing for our head, God is asking us to wrap our hearts around it. But what does it mean for us? Why does it even tie into this? It ties into this because we have been given a way to come into that community. No matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, it doesn't matter. We are valued so much that our God said we will send someone to be a part of that. And over this month of December, we want to inspire you to bring back some of that awe and wonder and majesty that you are so valued and so loved by this amazing, awe-inspiring God. I want you to imagine what would life be like if we didn't have this God? Let's have a look. What if there were things you could never take back? Words. Decisions. Mistakes. A world where every heartache lasted forever where every wound never healed. No autocorrect, no backspace, no delete. A world where man only drifts farther and farther away from happiness, from peace, from God. That's what the world would be like without a savior. Thankfully, that world doesn't exist. Because one quiet night, long ago, in a tiny town, a child was born. Born to change all hearts, end all goodbyes, fix all mistakes. Born to overcome anguish, regret, depression, fear. He understands you. He heals us. He can bridge the lonely gap between God and man and bring us home if we let him. 
If we love him, if we follow him, that's why we celebrate. That's why we sing. And that's why he was born. The sum of God is not what you and I have discovered, what we have learnt. The sum of who God is, is revealed through his Bible. It's not about our misconceptions or about our current understanding. It's here. And what we're hoping over this month is that the things of God that you might have just put back on the shelf, you bring them forward. Spend your own time discovering and understanding the nature of God and how much he loves you. We know that there are things that we can't ever take back things that we can't undo. And some of us walked in here today feeling like our heart was filled with an endless heartache. And some of us are carrying around things that are seemingly unhealable. And to those of us in that space... We want to say that this God, whether you understand the intricate natures of him, is a God that is for you, a God that wants you to understand that there is more, that there is wholeness, and that there is a place where there will be no more tears and no more mistakes made. Some of us feel ourselves or can see people around us drifting off further and further away from God. And some of us are fumbling for peace like it's a hot potato or something that we just can't seem to grasp onto. But this December, our challenge for you here at Refresh is for you to remember the truth that you have, we have a saviour, a saviour that was born God with human flesh on to redeem us, to bring us back into perfect community, into harmony, into a loving space. We are invited into this loving, eternal community. We want you to celebrate that this December, this day, every day, of your life and know that when this plan was on our God's mind, it was your face that they saw. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that despite some of the intricacies of who you are and and misunderstanding and misconceptions of what's in the Bible, Lord. We don't want to make our own mark or stamp on this. We want to remain true to what's in your Bible and how you reveal that to us. God, we ask that over this month of December that you will open our eyes to who you are. Lord, that what we learn may sink in may stir us to action and inspire us to share with those around us. In your name, amen.